It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Thanks, Dave, and welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We appreciate you downloading us and giving us a listen as we talk about Week 14 of the 2015 Division Three football season, the podcast for December 14th of 2015. What feels good is the fact we're going to play for national championship. And, uh, you know, when we talked about our goals at the beginning of the season was to win the, the OAC championship and, and get into the playoffs and, and win the national championship. And this was just week 14. Yes, just week 14 indeed for Vince Karras and the Purple Raiders. Uh, since there were only two games, I think we should get uh, game balls going and out there right away. We're going to be talking about these games a lot, and it could be repetitive to come back to uh, these items later. So... I'm going to give my game ball to the starting St. Thomas offensive line. Uh, that's Will Hilbert, Richie Donovan, Stefan Sauer, Zach Brennan, and David Simmett. And I'll let uh, Jordan Roberts, the running back, tell a little bit more about why. Uh, we really just try to do that every game. Um, we try to wear people down and uh, just keep chipping away and chipping away, and eventually run starts to crack, and we really believe in that um, as an offense. Um, it's really just a testament to them. Uh, my offensive line, um, I feel like they get stronger as the game goes on. And I just do my best to see the holes and hit them as hard as I can. In the end, Keith, St. Thomas ran for 389 yards and held the ball for more than 38 minutes. And that never happens without those five guys up front. Pat, for my game ball, I could probably mirror you and go with the uh, Mount Union offensive line. Um, since you name names, I should probably name names as well. Um, the, the Mount Union offensive line is Mitch Doherty, uh, Tyler Baker, and Michael Frank in the interior, and the tackles are Brooks Jenkins and Matt Fitchett. Uh, those guys did a great job. They paved the way for a, for a 306-yard rushing day. Uh, most of those 306 yards were, were uh, Logan Nemeth. But I'm actually going to go with the Mount Union defense, particularly the front six. I thought that um, after the first two drives where, uh, where Whitewater had success, uh, on third downs, they uh, hit a couple of big plays. One was a big pass over the middle, and one was a 38-yard um, Jordan Ratliff run. After those those first two plays, um, the Mountain Union defensive line held up much better at the point of attack. Um, you know, Whitewater couldn't get on their blocks, and I thought the defense, uh, they tackled well. They pursued the, to the ball. They gang tackled, and uh, Whitewater really just had no answers offensively once they couldn't get their, their running game going. They're just not the, the type of team this year that's built to, uh, to throw it up and down the field. So once, the, uh, once Mountain Union started to dominate in the trenches, it was, it was sort of shocking. I think it's the first time maybe going back to the very first Mount Union Whitewater Stag Bowl where you can say Mount Union was the the tougher, more rugged, stronger team out there. And, um, I mean, even games with Mount Union won, you know, they, they kind of won it uh, with speed and savvy, not necessarily with, uh, with muscle. And, uh, and on Saturday, you know, they, uh, the, the game ball goes to uh, the Mount Union defense, especially that front six, and, and really both sides uh, on Mount Union in the trenches. Um, because uh, because they flipped what the narrative really has been for a long time, which is Whitewater is the is the stronger team in the trenches. They just completely flipped it, flipped it, and uh, and, and now uh, you know we they they earned our respect. Yeah, you think that the uh, if if you think at any point that that wasn't uh, cognizant in their mind, something they were thinking about. Here was how they talked about it after the game. I think it's a lot of guys got tired of hearing about how we got dominated in the trenches, and for them to. Flip the narrative around like that is uh, it's not by accident. That starts way back in the off season, uh, in the weight room. Uh, you know, you get dominated a couple of times. Uh, you know, not, not just one time. It wasn't a fluke. I mean, that's something they they work on. Um, you know, maybe going back and looking at how they've been blocked uh, by Whitewater. Um, but but I think it's a, a a lot of it is probably personal pride, and it starts in the off season. So uh, you know, big big respect to Mount Union, both sides of the lines. Uh, for them on Saturday, they really, really, uh, you know, just com kind of completely changed uh, what we think about them. And we can flip the narrative for the entire Stag Bowl, of course, as well. You know, uh, I, I went back and listened to a, a couple of the podcasts that we did at this time of year uh, last year, uh, the year before, back in 2011. And of course, a lot of the big talk is about, you know, is this good for the game to have the same two teams over and over? Hey, we don't. We don't have the same two teams this year. It's fantastic, and it, and it sure seems like the right two teams, of course, with the uh, University of St. Thomas 
defeating Linfield by the score of 38 to 17 and Mount Union advancing by defeating Whitewater by the score of 36 to 6. Uh, we have uh, what looks like uh, the the uh, best two teams, certainly the best two at this point in the season, the way they've played this year and have really dominated everybody they've played. Um, this the being the uh, second trip in four seasons for St. Thomas is big for that program. Uh, but it's good for Mount Union to exercise some of its demons, although certainly they're not done yet. Uh, we'll bring in Ryan Tips to talk about that game a little later on in our podcast, but we're going to start with the newer face in Salem, or at least the uh, less familiar face in Salem, and that's St. Thomas. By now, you know the story. St. Thomas won by a large margin again, and you, you probably know that Jordan Roberts ran for 256 yards for the Tommies in the win. But, uh, you know, Keith, we need to dig into this game a little bit more. Uh, starting with uh, the starting quarterback situation once again for Linfield. The, the, as you uh, may recall, Sam Riddle got injured in the second round playoff win against Cortland State. He didn't play the second half of that game. He didn't play at all last week against Mary Harden Baylor, and he didn't start on Saturday. Uh, Tom Connect got the call once again. And, you know, Keith, he looked all right at times. Um, and he threw two interceptions. He got sacked twice. Um, and, you know, they only got 117 yards passing on his 28 attempts in the first half. And then at the half, they switch. They go back to Sam Riddle. And um, I feel like you and I might have different takes on Riddle considering what um, – what I saw, some of the stuff I saw you say on Twitter and some of the stuff that I'm thinking, I think that with Riddle healthy and mobile and able to do everything that uh, we know he's capable of doing, this was a different game. Yes, it doesn't change that uh, St. Thomas uh, is going to continue to be able to run the ball on them, but I, I thought that um, uh, Linfield might have a better opportunity of answering it. And when he was in the game, you know, they did put a couple of touchdowns on the board against uh, St. Thomas's first string defense, you know, with the game still relatively in doubt, at least I felt like, um, I, I felt like uh, Riddle at a hundred percent would have made a difference. Well, when, when Sam Riddle got hurt against Cortland state, you know, we didn't know exactly how bad the injury was, but we felt then and, and could probably agree now that that changed the the complexion of the entire postseason. It ended up being, you know, the type of injury where he could he came back and, and played the second half of uh, of Saturday's game. So he, he wasn't um you know, I don't think we even knew at the time um what kind of injury it was or or you know how it was gonna affect Linfield. But here's what I, you know, my takeaway and you kind of mentioned it briefly in there from that is that St. Thomas ran with such ease against Linfield that if they had gotten in a shootout with with Sam Riddle at 100%, I feel like they would have been able to score. I don't I, I mean, it's kind of disrespectful, but I think they could they were pretty much scoring at will on Saturday. They were they were running the ball at a ridiculous clip and um you know, helped them kill the clock obviously when they got ahead, but but I don't think it would have changed the outcome. I think it would have been a lot closer score, but I think we we clearly got a taste of 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 who was the better team on Saturday. St. Thomas jumped out to a 20-0 lead right away, uh, scored on a quick drive, then they scored on a long drive, one of a few they had on Saturday, uh, and then a short drive started by a turnover. You know, uh, obviously if you're Linfield going down 20 to nothing, well, hey, that's only uh, that's one point better than the, than the previous week, right? They, uh, they trailed Mary Harden-Baylor 21-0. But uh, in this case, you know, they just didn't have what it took to uh, get some points on the board early against the St. Thomas defense. Yeah, um, you know, that's not something you want to make a habit of, falling behind by three touchdowns. You, you got out from under it uh, a week ago, and it, and it, it took them the, the entire game. Um, you know, they got, they got back in it quickly, as we talked about on last week's podcast, that it went from 21-0 to 21-14. But, um, but it, it took them the entire game to, to hold off Mary Harden-Baylor. And, and this, um, you know, credit to St. Thomas, they didn't, they didn't give Linfield uh, any, any spark or didn't allow any spark. And that was pr- Pretty much the reason why, uh, in hindsight, you know Joe Smith probably went to uh, to Sam Riddle to start the second half. You know Riddle wasn't 100 percent. If he was 100 percent, he would have started. Uh, I think we can 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 yeah. assume that. And you know he just I didn't think Connect was bad or or terrible in any way uh, in the first half. He you know had the interception, but he also had a couple plays where he he uh, made good throws and guys didn't come down with passes for him. But yeah, you, you you look at the the whole numbers at the half. They didn't have any points. They um, didn't have um, or didn't have many points. Um, they didn't. You know the twenty eight throws you mentioned, just over a hundred yards. They needed a spark in the second half. They got a spark from Sam Riddle. There was a point where that game got 
where it almost got interesting, and, and this kind of goes back to my earlier point about St. Thomas, that as soon as St. Thomas recovered the onside kick, they uh, were able to run the ball down the field, score another touchdown to keep the game from ever really getting too interesting. That was one of the key things I thought about Saturday's game too, Keith. Um, you know, this is the third St. Thomas playoff game I've seen. Uh, and in the first two, uh, you know, Roberts uh, Roberts didn't look 100%. He didn't look fast. He looked tired. Um, but he came out uh, on Saturday and he had a really good burst right away. He, uh, he hit one hole. Um, let's see. This would have been in the second quarter. No, in the first quarter because they were uh, going from left to right at, at my angle. So it, right away in the first quarter, he hit a hole with speed that I have never seen him have. And, and I've seen him play healthier and I've seen him play uh, really well at St. John's, for example. Um, but, uh, you know, I think partly... Him not getting as many carries last week. He only ran the ball 16 times against Wabash. And I got the impression that the uh, the St. Thomas coaching staff really limited his reps in practice. Both he and uh, actually Jack Kaiser, who's the number two running back, looked uh, much fresher and uh, much better on Saturday than they had in previous weeks. Yeah, and then you can draw a parallel b- between that and, and what we were talking about with, uh, with Logan Nemeth, where... Um, his carries are now ramping up in the in the playoffs, and, and Mountain Union has had to go through that before, so maybe they do it by design. St. Thomas, uh, certainly capable of doing it by design, but they were probably doing it because uh, Jordan Roberts had been banged up. And uh, it really, I mean, they were clearly in there's no tomorrow mode uh, on Saturday by giving Jordan Roberts 33 carries, but as you mentioned, he looked great. 7.8 yards per carry. 256 rushing yards only uh, the longest run was 38 so it wasn't like he had like a 90 yard run that was boosting his his uh his yards per carry he had 256 yards 33 tough carries uh kaiser came in and and added 11 runs so uh between the two of your your main two backs 44 carries five touchdown runs st thomas only had to pass for 55 yards and, and and one going away yeah, we'll talk about that passing in a second. Uh, Roberts, uh, 145 yards in the second half, but stronger in the fourth quarter, though. Uh, 54 yards just on his last three carries uh, to help uh, cement that game after the time he's covered the onside kick. Uh, but in the passing game, uh, you know, John Gould, 5 of 11 uh, at uh, at quarterback for the Tommies for 55 yards, sacked three times, threw an interception, and I, I don't feel like his job is going to get a whole heck of a lot easier facing the Mountain Union defense than it was facing Linfield. Yes, you're correct. It's not going to get easier. Uh, Mountain Union, uh, the the rush, I mean, their rush was great on Saturday. They they were getting, you know, you, you know Tom Lally's going to bring it every game, um, but they, they were getting rushed from Mike Furter, from Durham Alarms. They have, uh, you know, a guy, they can go further down the defensive line. They don't, they don't have to blitz to get a rush, and that's a big, big uh, thing defensively, too, for, for Mountain Union. They can show you a bunch of looks, but they don't have to to dial up things that, that, put their, that puts their coverage uh, at risk. So, um I, I doubt Mountain Union is going to be really worried about getting beat down the field on, on a lot of pass plays. They're going to really try to load up and stop the run. But who knows if they'll be able to do it? I mean, uh, St. Thomas on on Saturday against Linfield, two double tight end, three tight ends sometimes, you know, and, and they might flop the formation by mo- by by flipping two tight ends over. But uh, they're not. They're just basically lining up and, and running it right down Linfield's throat. And, and we'll just have to see if that's a possibility or, or if that works out uh, against Mount Union. It's kind of like very similar to, uh, to a lot of the Whitewater Mount Union stag bowls, except we'll just, it'll just be St. Thomas instead of Whitewater. One other thing is uh, St. Thomas obviously uh, got a lot of mileage out of its special teams in the quarterfinal against Wabash. They kept it pretty plain, pretty vanilla in the semifinals. And, and I would have to think there's a couple of things at play, one of which – uh, probably saving whatever's left in the playbook uh, to to use it against Mountain Union. Uh, secondly, too, I think that you know having shown so much uh, on tape in the quarterfinal, um, they were able to do almost nothing but still have uh, Linfield thinking that something was coming. Uh, for example, St. Thomas threw out a, a different look on its uh, on its kickoff team every time. They didn't do anything with it. But, uh, you know, you have to figure that the other team is thinking, especially when you see uh, what the what the team they're facing has done in previous weeks. Yeah, well, that's just 
Glenn Caruso's philosophy on coaching. He's going to take advantage of any small place in the game plan or where, where he can get an advantage. Uh, they'll throw it out just to get the other team thinking. The, the problem is Mount Union is very similar in their way of thinking, that, that they can, they'll do some of the same things if they have to. So uh, I think that this is going to be a, a, an interesting stag bowl matchup. I'm, I'm to the point where I'm not even quite sure yet who I, who I pick on Saturday. Before we move on to the second game, I uh, wanted to talk about uh, one interesting point that a reader brought up to you and me, Keith, via email this weekend, is now that uh, it seems Linfield might be running into a bit of a glass ceiling, that's my term, not his, uh, in terms of getting past the Wyack and the Mayak in the playoffs. So the Wildcats now have lost their last six playoff games versus WIC and MIAC schools, uh, three of them are Whitewater two to St. Thomas, and, uh, of course, uh, one to Oshkosh. Uh, after the game, Wildcats coach Joe Smith said this was the first time he felt his team was truly beaten in the playoffs since he became head coach, and, and that to me that meant losing a game in which they weren't competitive. You look back at those six games, uh, two of them are in overtime. Uh, the last five before Saturday, at least, were by less than two touchdowns, and also interesting that five of the six were on the road. Uh, Keith, having Oshkosh at home in 2012 was really a prime opportunity for the Wildcats that they didn't capitalize on. And, and now they've eventually ended their season on the road the last three years, uh, once in the quarterfinals and twice in the semis. Yeah, well, I think they knew at the time in 2012 that they, they dropped the ball, and, and I'm pretty sure they, they literally oh, dropped the ball yeah. at the end of that game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah they did. Um, you know, that was a team that was loaded that we thought maybe was a was a the number one team in the country at the time or potentially could have been. But that game also was a quarterfinal game. So they would have they would have at some point had to go through uh, Mountain Union or, or Whitewater um, as to the point w- where, you know, a larger point, whether the Wyack and the Mayak are are. Um, uh, you know, I guess own Linfield. And, you know, you, you, you kind of said it already. These Linfield games have been close. Linfield's been right there. You know, there was, I was at the game at Whitewater last year, the semifinal, and there was a throw, I think like a second down throw from about the 20 that riddled through Spencer Payne. And, and Payne was diving in the end zone and the ball skips off the ends of his fingertips. You know, if he's able to haul that in, it, you know, it's completely different story last season. So I do think with some of these losses, you go back to 2013, the 28-17 one where they led, I believe they led that one 17-0 against, uh, against Whitewater. And, and I'm recalling this off the top of my head, but I'm, uh, I feel like Linfield is not, it's not fair to say that they're, they just can't get over the hump against the Wyack or Mayak, but certainly to draw the, the, the comparison uh, between the two conferences where they're kind of the, the two bigger, tough, Tougher, I, I, I hesitate to say tougher, but you know they just do, both teams from both conferences. Um, the, the unique nature of each state makes Division three football in both states really good. In Minnesota, it's because um, the D three is so popular there. Um, you know this better than I do, but St. John's, St. Thomas, uh, huge followings. There's so many uh, good high school programs that that they have. They're tapped into, and then in Wisconsin, it's really um, just the 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 lack of schools between UW Madison, and then after that, it's pretty much the WIAC or the the Minnesota D two schools coming over the border, and and that's all the talent ends up in the WIAC. Yeah, um, I think the two also in Minnesota. Uh, a lot of kids used to go out, uh, leave Minnesota and go to the D2s in the Dakotas, North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota, South Dakota State. Um, those, you know, are not D2 schools anymore, right? They're all FCS and uh, mm-hmm. some of them pretty competitive in FCS in football. So they're not pulling those kids out of Minnesota the way they used to. I think that's certainly a, a, a part of it as well. I, I would say, too, um, you know, uh Joe Smith specifically referenced just size of players, and that's something that was pretty evident on Saturday. Uh, I don't know how easily you go back and recall last year's semifinal game against uh, Whitewater, but was that an issue there too? Well, I I think it's – first of all, St. Thomas and Whitewater just have unusual size for anyone in D3 across the board, uh, especially this year's St. Thomas team. Um but also Linfield, their their whole style is is to kind of win by um by having sort of smarter, 
faster players rather than necessarily getting huge guys. Uh, I mean, their their quarterbacks, you know, are the, even the, the backup quarterback came in, the guy's six five. That's that's size, but along the lines, um, you know, it, it it was definitely hard for Linfield to match up with St. Thomas, and it was very evident uh, watching uh, the game on Saturday, where where you know St. Thomas lined up and and was able to just get it whatever kind of push they wanted, uh, Linfield. You know, they didn't have the guys to come up and, and run support. It, it was just a really uh, uh, tough situation for Linfield. But that's the situation for 245 other teams in D3. There's not too many teams who could line up and, and match St. Thomas across the, the front lines. All right, on the podcast, we're welcoming in the guy who actually writes around the nation, Ryan Tips, our uh, columnist based in uh the uh, Roanoke, Virginia area, which is fairly uh, useful for us uh, covering Division Three football, but he was in Alliance, Ohio on Saturday along with Adam Turr uh, covering the Mount Union uh, Whitewater National Semifinal. And uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Pat. Yeah, uh, I want to start by asking your general impressions of the game. Obviously, you know those of us who uh, who watched it on ESPN three uh, got uh, some some pretty distinct impressions of, about uh, how this game went down. But uh, you know, wanted to get your take uh, since you were in the building when it happened. Well, this was absolutely you know the same kind of Mount Union team that we've seen over the years. It's as good as any Mount Union team that uh, that I've seen over the past uh, decade going to uh, the Stag Bowl. Um, but even despite the 36 to 6 score, I didn't have any doubt that Whitewater belonged in the national semifinals. Um, there was a lot of good on that team. There was the offensive line for Whitewater was mostly sophomores and juniors, and you know that they're going to mature. Um, you know, first year quarterback uh, starting under center, so there's a lot of room to grow on that team. But, but they definitely belong there. But really, this was Mount Union's day. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, the crowd, the atmosphere and everything was electric. The stands were packed pretty nicely. Um, you know, just like you see every year in Salem, Virginia, it was, uh, walking up to the stadium. It was kind of hard to distinguish who were the Warhawks fans, who are the purple Raiders fans, because everybody's clad in purple, but, um, it was, uh, it was a pretty energizing atmosphere and, um, and Mount Union, you know, they, they, they told exactly what kind of team they are this year and they are a dominant one. And, and there's uh, there's no doubt that um, that they're going to put up one heck of a fight next week in Salem. I've got to ask you: Was the pace of your game as slow and painful in the stadium as the St. Thomas Linfield game was? Because between the TV timeouts and the officiating reviews, uh, the semifinal I was at just seemed to drag on and on. We didn't really get that impression in Alliance. Um, the score was still fairly close going into half. It was only fifteen to six. Um, still very much a chance that, you know, Whitewater could make the second half adjustments and still make it a game. So anything in the, the first half, the timeouts or anything, it didn't really seem to drag. There was still just kind of a lot of energy, intensity, excitement kind of going on in the, in the stadium. But also um, the plays that they did review, they were very justifiable reviews. They were ones that we were kind of questioning in the press box. We were watching exactly what the officials were watching uh, as they were reviewing plays. And they were the same ones we had questions about. So we, we were, we seemed to be genuinely interested in, in how it was going. And it didn't feel like it was dragging because we were kind of having those same discussions. Um, the second half is Mount Union started to pull away. It, it still didn't really kind of, it didn't really strike me as being a slow pace just because we've seen whitewater winds for so many years. And with Mount Union ahead, Wondering if they were going to be able to, you know, hold on. It seemed like they were. I mean, they were certainly taking control of the game in the second half. Yeah, we, we, it, it didn't really feel slow. Uh, you wrote about Whitewater, and I would certainly, of course, encourage people to go to the front page of D3Football.com just, you know, as a general rule, uh, but right now to read what uh, what you wrote about uh, Whitewater and how its uh, season ended. But uh, just um, how is it, uh, you know, how was your take on, on how, it went, uh, how it went down? Obviously, you know, Whitewater, as we mentioned, uh, got a couple of uh, field goals early, went up, looked fairly decent, and then things just really kind of changed for them. Yeah, um you know, I'm sure that Whitewater was not happy to only come away with field goals in those in those you know first two drives. I mean, it's great to get a score against a team like Mount Union. Um, Mount Union had had never been behind in any game so far this season until Whitewater took that three and O lead. But um, you you make these long drives from 
deep in your own territory to, to get close to the red zone at least, you want to come away with a touchdown, at least one of those tries. You, you want to know that you can seal the deal. And, and Whitewater had some early momentum. They were certainly, I think they completed four of six first down, uh, or I'm sorry, third down attempts in those first two drives. Um, the two they did not complete, of course, were the, were the field goals. But, but they were, you know, they were making a lot happen. But then it was, uh, I think it was their third drive when Mike Furta had a big interception. Mount Union had, had just scored. Mike Furta had a big interception on, on the, the Whitewater's first play from scrimmage. And Mount Union again got another quick score at the end of that first quarter. And that really kind of changed the whole dynamic of the game. Um, Whitewater, you know, it saw itself being down. Mount Union actually went for two, made it a 15-6 game and a two-score game. And, um, you know, Whitewater was, was doing something it had done a few times this year, um, or at least against uh, teams uh, uh, like Morningside from uh, the NAIA. Um, they, they were they were playing from behind, and and they know how to play from behind. But you could tell that things were definitely starting to shift to Mount Union's direction at that point. Um, Mount Union, well, one thing that uh, Vince Karras had said during the uh, during the uh, post game press conference was that the Mount Union offensive and defensive lines were really focused since this past January or February on getting better because it was almost that they were sick and tired of hearing the same old storyline of Whitewater beating them in the trenches. Mount Union was determined to make that uh, not happen again. And they wanted to, they wanted to really kind of flex their muscles there and, and they did it. And that, and that was, that was another dynamic that really kind of, kind of changed the game. I mean, uh, you know, Tom Lally set a, uh, for, for Mount Union had set a uh, 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 Mount Union record for sacks on a season um, by, by, by taking down a whitewater quarterback, Durham alarms had two sacks. Um, it was it was just they were putting a lot of pressure on on whitewater and um, and it, it you know it showed in the final score. Uh, Tori Scott, the Purple Warriors quarterback, won a lot of praise on Saturday. Here's a clip. I give me a give myself a B. I missed a couple of passes. I give myself a B. Yeah, I think he did an awesome job managing the game. I mean, how many times did the play break down? He got first downs by scrambling, making good throws. I mean, we just, with Tyrese, I mean, we just trust him, and he's, he's such a good quarterback. He did, he did an awesome job. So let's give him an A, a for the day. So. Poise. Outstanding <laughs> poise. Zero turnovers. Poised, and uh, our team reflects, I think, the quarterback on offense. He's poised, we're poised. I'd give him an A. So obviously he got better grades from his running back and got really uh, high praise from his coach. But uh, how did Scott look in this game compared to what we've seen from Mountain Union quarterbacks in previous seasons? Well, I'm going to uh, in, agree entirely with Logan Nemeth's assessment. Um, Therese Scott, he, he gets an A in my book. Um, he is definitely more along the lines of the Kevin Burke, Greg McKaylee type quarterbacks rather than the Matt Pelotto types. I mean, he was, he was sneaky fast. He was deceptive. Uh, I'll admit sometimes in the press box, he fooled me as whether on, on some of these play action efforts, that he fooled me as whether he had the ball still or not. And he was just able to avoid defenders. Getting hit once didn't take him down. Um, you know, he, he would, after contact, he was still going. And he was just, he was slippery and he was accurate. And he, he, he did an amazing job back there. And, um, and it's, there's no doubt, you know, there were some questions going into the season as to whether, you know, who Vince Karras was going to go with for, uh, for quarterback for his team. And there's no doubt that Scott was the right choice. Uh, meanwhile, defensively, it seems like the Purple Raiders were able to limit the Whitewater passing game and really take away Marcus Hudson, who's the guy who had emerged as a Whitewater's top wide receiver. What was the reaction, the discussion about that after the game in terms of that phase of the game? Well, um, Kevin Bullis had said uh, after the game that, you know, it was it was amazing for Mount Union to be able to take away a component of his offense and to make them more one-dimensional. And that really kind of made things tough because even though they have an all-region running back in, in Jordan Ratliff, this still wasn't the kind of game that they really wanted to see. They only had 106 yards rushing. They only had you know, just shy of 150 yards passing. 
taking away the, the passing game, pushing them into sort of a one-dimensional type thing. It really didn't work out for them. They really weren't able to generate some momentum. After those first couple of drives, they failed to complete these third down plays that they had been so successful at early on. And it just, things just didn't get going for them anymore. And they were off the scoreboard for 45 plus minutes of the game. Uh, what are the storylines we should be looking out for the Purple Raiders this week? I think we got to keep our eye on Logan Nemeth. Um, he is uh, he's a beast. He's a workhorse. He had talked a little bit after the game about, yeah, he was starting the season. He would get 12 carries a game. And when they bumped him up to 20-some carries a game, it was, you know, he was feeling a little sore, but he was, uh, he, he was getting used to it and stuff, and, and he was embracing that role. This past weekend, he had 30-plus carries for 214 yards, just shy of how many yards he ran for against Wesley the previous week. And he's someone that, that, you know, that they can lean on pretty heavily, especially if the, the team they're playing has some, some really good defensive backs. And, and uh, he's, he's certainly going to be a threat. Um, and it's also exciting, really, kind of, kind of look at uh, this Mount Union team and, and just how many games some of these police players, like Trey Jones and Alex Kochev, I mean, they have 50-plus games under their belts. I mean, that's, that's amazing that they've actually been in, they've been factors in throwing people like Hank Spencer, who has 50-plus games, too. And this is, you know, the, the older players on the team, I mean, they're, they're, they're not just seniors in terms of their maturity. I mean, they're real veterans on the field, and, uh, and it's really making this team one of the more special teams that have, uh, that have traveled to Salem. All right. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody on the St. Thomas side can match those numbers of games played, but it certainly will see a matchup of two uh, hard-hitting uh, running backs between uh, between Nemeth and Jordan Roberts. So uh, those are a couple of things uh, to definitely look forward to. And Ryan, of course, uh, we look forward to seeing you down in Salem as well. I guess you know, you're in Salem a heck of a lot more often than we are, so maybe it should be the other way around. It's it's always fun though to to go for uh, the stag ball, and that's the best reason I can think of to go to Salem. All right, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. So lots of good stuff there um, from Ryan, and glad to have him join the podcast. We've done a pretty nice job during the playoffs of getting guests on the podcast and getting getting their take. Love to have it when, especially when somebody was at the game on Saturday. There's one thing, though, I want to pull out from from what Ryan, Ryan was talking about, and it kind of goes back to the the whole uh, you know, Vince Karras and Mountain Union taking it personally when they when they had been beaten up in the trenches in, in some of the losses to Whitewater. You know, this is when I wish we were full time and and I could spend a day with the coach's angle of uh, of Saturday's game because what Mountain Union does defensively, it's not easily discerned necessarily by the naked eye. They've always run the five defensive back defense. Linfield does it as well. They're a 4 2 5 team. I, I really like it because of the flexibility it gives you. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's not even the first time we've talked about it on the podcast over the years uh, that, I, that the 4 2 5 is, uh, you know, gives you a lot of flexibility. But you have to have those players on the back end who can cover and come down in the box and come up and run support. But I think what Mountain Union does up front uh, as well is is give a bunch of different looks. So they'll do uh, three down linemen, which is kind of their tr- traditional look. Um, they'll have four on the line of scrimmage. They'll I saw one time early in uh, Saturday's game they had five on the line of scrimmage with two stand up uh, DNs or it looked like two stand up DNs. I'm sure one of them was not a DN uh, on the on the same side. Ferda is uh, Mike Mike Ferda. He's listed as a Leo. And uh, on the play where he had a pick, so the Leo is basically the stand-up D-end. Um, it's, it's not really the right terminology for it because uh, he's, he's not a D-end, but it, it, just looking at it from a, from a layman's point of view, it looks like he's, he's a D-end because he's standing on the end of the line on the line of scrimmage. Uh, on the play where, where Ferda had the interception, he lined up on the line of scrimmage and dropped out. And he, he's, you can see in the broadcast, he's looking for short routes, but there being none, he drops back even further like a linebacker working hook to curl or, uh, or like you'd see in a zone blitz. So, you know, Mount Union has a defense where the same guy who is second on your team in sacks who can, you know, bend around the end and rush the passer can also drop back 15 yards into coverage and make an interception. That's amazing flexibility for a defense. And I, I think that's part of the reason why Mount Union's been so good um, 
not just this year, but but goes back a, a few years. You know, there are times when they call their defense a, a two four five, not necessarily a five four two. That they really only had the the two, uh, the nose and, and the under tackle as the as the uh, down lineman. But anyway, um, I also love to take a closer look at at Mount Union's video. Um, because I don't think on Saturday against Whitewater they made a major adjustment. I can't say that for sure because it's hard It's hard to tell in real time with a tight angle watching a game in the airport on, on my phone. Um, but Whitewater had 125 yards to Mount Union's 11 at one point early in, in Saturday's game on, on the second possession. And it finished with 253 yards of total offense. So basically half of, of the Warhawks' yards came on their first two drives. And they did hit two big plays, the 41-yard pass to, uh, to tight end Brent Campbell and the 38-yard run by Jordan Ratliff. But they also converted third downs early in that game, and, and Mount Union just shut that spigot off after the first quarter. I thought they just they tackled better. Their pursuit to the ball was great on run plays. The D-line held up at the point a lot better. And, uh, and after all the times Whitewater pushed Mount Union around in, in, in Stag Bowls, the Purple Raiders were the ones pushing them around this time. And, uh, you know, it was 15-6 at the half, but you never got the sense that Whitewater would come back in the second half because they they couldn't, uh, once they couldn't line up two tight ends and, and run over Mount Union, they really had no answers. Trey Jones bottled up Marcus Hudson, and there wasn't much open in the passing game. And the defense, the Mount Union defense, which is playing with upheaval in the secondary because uh, their safety, their spur, uh, Josh Stewart is out. Uh, Lewis Berry apparently replaced Nick Rodriguez as a starter at cornerback this week. And Jones was banged up. You saw him uh, during Saturday's game kind of trying to like look like he was trying to work out a hamstring or something on the sideline trying to stay fresh. But um, all that is happening on the Mountain Union defense, and they still didn't give up any plays after the first quarter. So you know that's why in a long-winded nutshell they got my game ball. I thought the 36 points they scored was impressive, but not nearly as impressive as the six they limited Whitewater to. As we move forward to talking about the Stag Bowl 43 matchup, Keith, something you said struck me uh, when talking about Whitewater not being able to line up with a double tight end and run over Mount Union. Uh, I feel like uh, St. Thomas is going to want to do that. Uh, you mentioned it, uh, you know, just a, a, a few minutes back. Um, I, I feel like that's uh, that's going to be St. Thomas's bread and butter. And if that doesn't work for St. Thomas against Mount Union, they're not going to have a lot of answers either. I, I could see them going to, uh, you know, going to pull some stuff out of their bag of tricks. And as we remember in the 2012 Stag Bowl, right, the way that uh, St. Thomas got its touchdown was by lining up and faking a field goal, a play that they still use. Um, but I, I feel like that if, uh, if, if Mount Union is able to slow down the uh, the Tommy running game the way they did the Warhawks, it's going to be a, uh, a pretty successful day for them. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the keys to the game. You don't, the Tommies, if they get in a shootout, it has to be by their running game working the way it did on Saturday against Linfield. They don't want to fall behind and, and, and try to throw a bunch to uh to get back into the game because their offense just isn't built like that they they don't want to they don't rely on on gould to uh to pass that that much they have um decent you know downfield threats in charlie dowdle and uh and um nick waldvogel but it's not a team that's going to line up for wide and, and and try to throw its way back into the game i think if they're down by one score or they're down by 10 they'll they'll still stick to their game plan and you just don't you just don't know what would happen if mountain union was able to get a a big lead on them uh how they would try to get back into the game i think that's one of the the major keys but there are probably a couple others that we can discuss and 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 this one is sort of kind of the the exact same thing um, or, or a similar thing, um, how that St. Thomas O-line is able to, to, you know, establish itself against the Mount Union front six or, you know, whatever it ends up being um, for Mount Union. If the Tommies can run, they can control the clock. They can keep Therese Scott and that, that, uh, that high-tempo, high-powered offense off the field. Tommies can, can try to control the game that way. If they can't run or if they kind of have intermittent success, like one good drive, two bad drives, um, then the game could go either way. And, and that's probably what we want to see, you and I, because we want to see a good finish. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, for, for the people listening that are vested in one team or the other, they do not want to see that. Uh, yeah, St. Thomas on Saturday really shortened the game with three uh, key scoring drives. Uh, that ran 539, 710, and uh, 713. Uh, you know, 
Linfield wasn't able to get its defense off the field, and that was a that was a big problem for them. As, as St. Thomas, obviously, as you said, um, you know, not designed to fling the ball down the field, not designed necessarily to score quickly. Um, although, you know, some of that too, you just you control by controlling the tempo of the game. St. Thomas likes to play at a uh, you know at, at a I want to say a conservative tempo, but you know they 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 try to keep they try to keep the pace. They're not necessarily looking to rush the uh, rush the ball up to the line and uh, and move things along uh, when things are going in their favor. But I know that you can go ahead and uh, you know you can change the tempo of the game even by still running the ball. Well, another thing running the ball does, and, and this is should be familiar to Mountain Union fans who've been to many of the the Whitewater Stag Bowls is you don't necessarily see the effects of these runs early in the game. You know, Jordan Roberts talked about it earlier in this very podcast where the the runs that are, you know, short runs early in the game as that that offensive line starts to wear defense down, those those cracks get seem to get a little bigger later in the game and suddenly in the fourth quarter those shorter runs are are big key, you know, 6, 8, 10-yard runs and you're able to to grind out a big drive. So if if the Tommies uh don't have success early necessarily but the game's close that that still plays in their favor because they they're going to continue to run the ball stick with what they do and uh and try to wear a defense down you know if they if they get behind you maybe you see them pull out um something from the bag of tricks as you mentioned i think there's one other big key to this game and that's uh the the tall corners for st thomas they're they're two corners their starters are six two and six three and uh, so the the advantage that Roman Namdar provides just by his body type and his speed uh, against most D3 teams that won't be there. Um, Mount Union's other really good receiver right now is uh, is Tim Kennedy, and he's kind of a more traditional D3 guy, shorter, um, is able to get open just by by speed and running good routes and and uh, that sort of thing. But he doesn't he doesn't have the body type at all uh, of of Namdar. So if um if the 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 two Tommy corners um, can match up with with Namdar, I think this is going to be really interesting offensively because um, you know then then you got Mountain Union trying to run the ball with with Nemeth and able to run the ball potentially with uh, with Therese Scott because he's so speedy. Uh, those those two corners, by the way, are uh, are Jordan Young and uh, and Moses Aikenubi. Yeah, I, I think you pretty much got that. We'll have to. Uh, lock down that pronunciation before Friday night, but uh, you're in the ballpark, and I'm not gonna go uh, try to pronounce it right now because you know I don't feel too much more confident about it. Um, let's see. Ra- uh, of course, at the end of the uh, Mount Union game, uh, Vince Karras didn't know who they were facing, but uh, since the St. Thomas game was the second one, uh, Glenn Caruso had an opportunity to react in the post game to who they were about to face. I'll tell you what was wildly, I haven't seen all their scores. What was very impressive was their defense. I sat in the same room three years ago after this game, and I talked about how I thought that their offense got a ton of credit. Deservedly so. You put up those, I mean, those numbers are gaudy. I understand ours are close. I get it. But their defense that year had seven shutouts. Seven. Seven shutouts. Zero points, right? Six, seven. Am I right, Pat? Pretty darn close, right? And uh, they were they were so impressive statistically. And then, you know, in half hour now, we'll go upstairs and start looking at, at film. And uh, then when you flip on the film, they're even more impressive. So I, I don't know yet. I'll be able to tell you tomorrow if you ask me that same question after we watch the film. But either way, I, 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 know, I know that they'll be prepared. And the difference, going back to the last question, is that we're going down there for our second time in – Four years. Now, I think that's pretty neat. I really do. I might be off by a year or two, but Mount Union will be making their 20th trip in the past 22 years to that game. And that is a comfortable, comfortableness is not a word. That's a comfort that they have deserved and earned through their longevity and their hard work. That's wildly impressive. Uh, I have to say, Coach, I'm the only one allowed to make up words on this podcast. But, uh, Keith, your take on the rest of what uh, Glenn Caruso just said. Well, you understand why Glenn Caruso is successful in recruiting, right? Because he just kind of has that 
um, he's just talking about a kind of a, a, a regular thing, but he's got that real excited magnetic way of saying it that, uh, that, that probably lures people in. Uh, he also had another quote though, and this was at the end of a highlight package that the Tommies tweeted out. Uh, I saw it on Sunday. They may have tweeted on Saturday, but, um, he had another quote where he said, I don't care who we play. We just want an opportunity. And, um, you know, that is basically the essence of, of what winning in the playoffs is about, right? Every week, you, you just want another opportunity to play one more game with, the, with your guys. But they also, they want an opportunity now to be on this big stage, prove that, uh, that, that they're the best team in the country. So on one hand, Caruso, he's saying he respects Mountain Union, right, in the clip that you played. Uh, but on the other hand, he's showing no fear. Of them, he just wants his team to focus on playing uh, its best game, and I think that is is probably the best way to 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 head into this thing, and and probably also sort of a a relic, not a relic, a remnant of um, 2012, having seen Mount Union once before, having had some of the same guys on the roster down in Salem before. They're not going to be amazed by this whole thing, and and Glenn's been to Salem a few times now. He he went. Uh, we talked to him, I think, the year before he brought his team there, and he was there just kind of feeling out the the land, what to do if I ever brought my team here, and now he's he's been twice. Still, though, it's a totally legitimate thing for us to say and, and a hurdle for St. Thomas to clear in that they've this is now their second stag bowl, but they've yet to beat Mount Union or Whitewater. You win the game Friday night, and they're truly part of the Purple Powers. Let that soak in for a second. Um, it, indeed, uh, that is. There's certainly you know, they are. If if I guess it depends on how many purple powers you you think there are, right? Uh, if you think there are two, then you got to beat one of them in order to get into the group. Uh, and that's certainly uh, one of the things that St. Thomas has in front of it. Um, although obviously, you know, winning that whole walnut and bronze thing is is probably a little bit more important than uh, necessarily joining an arbitrary group of uh, where people might rank these teams. Um, you know, Keith, you mentioned uh, that they've been there before. Um, and uh, these, when these seniors were freshmen, I think um, Caruso said it was 12 or 13 of them had been uh, were were on the roster, made the trip. Um, you know, a couple of them got uh, significant playing time. Um, but you know, anytime I think you make a, a second trip to Salem as a program, uh, you you learn some things and, and you have an opportunity to uh, to try to change things and try to do some things differently. And I, and I asked uh, Coach Caruso about that afterwards. I think the number one thing that I've learned in the last three years is to be in the moment and to enjoy whatever it is that is bestowed on you. And um, we're given an opportunity that, that honestly I can't say, uh, if I'm being completely blunt, I can't say that I did a great job um, soaking it all in three years ago uh, because I was always worried about what the next thing is, what the next thing is. And I think if you look at our team and how we operate, they're very much in the moment. You know, we've uh, we've kind of rallied around. Uh, we love this movie, the, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It's kind of a weird little movie. I love it, but it's that's something that we really have to guard against nowadays with all of the distractions and all of the electronics and all of the things that help us connect in many ways often get us disconnected. And and one of the things that we're going to continue to preach to them that we've done all year long is enjoy it, stay in the moment and don't don't miss an opportunity to look around take it in and smile because that's a big deal man Keith I, I know you're fond of saying that uh, it's a it's a new tr it's a new stag bowl every year even if it is the same teams over and over there's always new players who haven't been there before or players who you know are put in starting roles who were backups the previous year and it's always a new experience uh, I, I see I, I hear that sort of thing coming out of Caruso there that even a new experience for a guy who's been there as a coach once with a team and as a coach once with a Gallardi finalist as you mentioned yeah and that is one of my favorite things about it when we really get there uh, this this year on a Friday um, and, and sit down and, and really realize yeah we've seen these two teams here before but it wasn't the same guys that, you know, teams have different guys in different roles, different injuries. Um, and even the same guy as, as coach Caruso saying, viewing this, um, 
in, in a different light, right, than he did the first time. I'm going to try to take it in more. How about Vince Karras? He, he's won this thing a gajillion times as a player and uh, a assistant coach, defensive coordinator, but he hasn't won it yet as a head coach. So even for him, there's there's something new to, to be achieved. Uh, obviously, for anyone who's who's new in the lineup or who didn't have a key role, it's all new for them. So I think there's there's when you really boil it down, and I know it's you know it's tough if you're from you know Cortland State or 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 you know, Laverne or somewhere that was in the postseason and, and you've been off for a couple of weeks now to like kind of come back to football and and feel for these two teams because one of them is, is going to lose on, on Friday night and kind of feel like it's whole, yeah, after they crushed a whole bunch of other teams, they're going to feel like their season wasn't very successful. Well, um, there, there's still something, some drama in there for, for all of us to kind of watch and enjoy. Yeah, flipping back over to the Mountain Union side of this equation for a minute, Keith. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about over the course of the uh, roughly forty-eight hours or so, right since the games have ended, is um, you know, Mountain Union has gotten to this point now. They've beaten Whitewater. They've beaten Whitewater handily. Uh, I know, uh, and listening to uh, recordings of the post-game news conferences and stuff, that. Mount Union understands, or at least is speaking out loud, that their that their job is not done. Right, they've got one more week that they've got to go through in order to get this done. But I, I think just a little bit about um, about Rowan, nineteen ninety nine. You know, they finally go and win at Mount Union, uh, and then lose in the, in the Stag Bowl the next week. Or they feel like maybe they won their championship the previous week. And and it's not to say that. Um, you know that Mountain Union wouldn't prepare its players much better than Rowan did, and that sort of thing. But I, I kind of feel like in in rattling around in the back of heads, I, I wonder if there's just a little bit of that that Mountain Union feels like it's accomplished what it set out to do, even though that's not one of their listed goals. Hey, they beat Whitewater, and they hadn't beaten Whitewater since 2008. Yeah, I mean that, that's a big deal in Alliance, but I think it's a it was a big deal on Saturday in the, in the job for. Vince Karras is turn the page by the time you get to Sunday or the next time you have the players in gathered up and say, all right, we did that. But if we lose next week, you know, you know, you're not going to care that much that you beat Whitewater, right? You're only going to care if you beat Whitewater on the way to the national championship. So one thing that, that, that I'm sure Vince has retained that his father used to always say is, is you start out the week by respecting your opponent. And it sounds crazy for, for Mount Union who you, they know, you know, they got to know, all right, we're going to beat Muskingum by 60 this week. But that, that if you start at that very place where, you know, if we don't play our best, we can lose, then I, I think you you kind of eliminate the the possibility of of them having a, a letdown because they've already they feel like they've already achieved a goal where they really have it. Um, so so I don't think that's going to be an issue on uh, on Friday night. I am so good at lightning rounds. All right, moving on to the lightning round. And Keith, something you mentioned, uh, I guess, probably uh, close to 10 minutes ago, I have to go back and follow up on. Where did you watch these games from on Saturday? Yeah, Pat, you dipped into the um, the, the D3 coffers. We had uh, Ryan Tips and Adam Turr in Alliance, and you're based out of Minnesota, so it was easy for you to get to, to St. Paul. So you dipped in and said, we're, we're going to have two guys at each place, fly Keith out to Minnesota. Um, and, uh, and we'll, we'll do the semifinal games that way. Well, didn't work out so well for me, partially because, you know, I, I have to work, um, on Sundays covering the NFL. So I can, I have to kind of go out on Saturday and come right back. Uh, usually we're putting up the Christmas tree with the kids on Friday. So when I booked this thing, I said, I'm going to go out Saturday morning, going to come back, um, Saturday night. It'll be easy peasy. I did it last year for, for whitewater game. Um, no problem, right? I can get out and get back. Well, tried to save a little money by booking. Uh, I have three flying rules right at a DC. Leave from the closest airport. There are three airports in DC. I try to leave from the closest one. I try to never take bags, and I try to never fly it with a connection. This time, try to save a little money yeah. and f- fly with a connection. I was going to go through Charlotte, out to Minneapolis, then fly direct on the way back. So we got to Charlotte, get on the plane. I woke up at four in the morning. Right to get to Dulles real early, flying. Everything's going according to plan, and we got to Charlotte, and they they said um, 
you know, fog, visibility is too low. We can't land in Charlotte. We have to take you to Myrtle Beach. So we flew to Myrtle Beach, sat on the runway for an hour or whatever, who knows, um, before they moved us to the gate. They never took us off the plane. They finally decided there was enough visibility to get us to land in Charlotte. Got us back to Charlotte, but it was too late to catch the flight to Minneapolis. The next flight they could get me on, and, and you know, you got to wait, call, deal with the gate agents or whatever. Anyway, the next flight to Minneapolis was not going to get me there till after the game had already kicked off. Um, and significantly after the game. Like if it would have been like 20 minutes, I would have drove out or run up to the press box in the first quarter, although it would have been 20 to nothing at that point. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't so, know. That part at least we didn't know. Right. So long story short, to answer your question, I watched all the games uh, in the airport in Charlotte because by the, by the time they got me back to Charlotte, couldn't get to Minneapolis at the time, it was stupid to fly out there and then fly right back the same night. So I ended up just having to go back home. And the only good thing about being stuck in the airport is I was stuck there from the time the Mount Union game kicked off, more or less, to um, I f- got on the plane in the fourth quarter, so Mount Union game's over, and the plane lands, and the St. Thomas Linfield game has, uh, has, has just started. Um, you can't watch, you can't stream a game on the plane, so I'm tweeting. Uh, that's, where, that's where that stream of tweets came from. But basically, long story short, or short story long in this case, um, Watch the games. I intended to be there, uh, and and you intended to to have me there, and um, it just didn't work out. This is the first time I've really had an airline um, mix up that that messed things up this bad. And I know it happens to everyone. You hear all kinds of people's horror stories, and I kind of was just um, banking on things working out a lot better than they did. I was supposed to get into Minneapolis at twelve, plenty of time before a three thirty kickoff, but it uh, didn't work out that way. Yeah, um, adding to the official D3Sports.com travel advisories with, which prohibit uh, staying in a hotel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Uh, also, do not fly out on game day and change planes on the way to the game. That is, uh, that's officially forbidden at this yeah. point. Uh, I flew, you know, it's easy to fly in and out of Chicago. It's easy to fly short trips. Uh, anytime you got to change a plane, man, you're just asking for it. Well, I tell you the worst thing about this is I was waiting for the first plane to Charlotte. And so another one of my flying rules is I don't, I hate when they give you a connection that's not in the direction of where you're going. Like, I don't like flying to Atlanta when I'm going somewhere that's north or west. Like, why do I got to fly south and out of the way? You know, they'll they'll take you through Dallas or Salt Lake when you're going to Seattle. Like, that's not even on the way to Seattle. So anyway. Um, I didn't I didn't like this at all from the jump, but it was four hundred dollars cheaper than the direct flights back and forth. But I'm there in the airport in on, in the morning and I'm waiting for the flight to Charlotte. And you look I looked on the board and there's a flight departing to Minneapolis. And I was like, man, what if I could just get on that flight and not wait for this other flight? And uh, I, I wish I'd listened to my instincts or would just book the two direct flights and not worried about the money. All right, so uh, other other business to settle. Obviously, uh, you know, number one and number two on the line in the final poll this weekend. Maybe not the most prestigious uh, thing to be settled on Friday night, but it is one of them. Um, but uh, you know, talk about the teams that just got eliminated, uh, where those teams might end up in the poll. Keith, uh, I actually already filed my final top twenty-five ballot because. Um, you know, sometimes things get a little crazy on uh, Stag Bowl night, and then the next day, um, I'll go change it if the other team wins. But uh, Keith, what's your take on where uh, where things shake out now? Yeah, I guess I keep forgetting that you can do that, and then and then go back and update it. So I wrote it and g and gmailed it to myself, emailed it to my Gmail. Um, <laughs> okay, Gmail is not a verb, right? I didn't. Uh, it might be for some people that we've worked for. Okay. Uh, uh, anyway, I've made the ballot and I have it kind of in tiers right now, um, not not tier drops, but just you know, group this group here and the one that the one that's kind of messing up the tiers is St. John's because I feel like if St. Thomas wins and wins handily, it beat Mount Union. I think that pulls St. John's up. You look at St. John's; they finished the season eleven and two, ten and two. Yeah, ten and two. Ten and two, um, with one playoff win, two losses to St. John. So they they basically crushed everyone they played. They played one of the best conferences of the country, and the only team that beat them was St. was St. Thomas. St. Thomas did it handily, but if St. Thomas goes through this whole thing and they win by more than one score, let's say that means they've beaten everybody they've played by one score, including St. John. So it pulls St. John's up a little bit. If uh, Mount Union wins, 
Uh, there are teams tied to Mount Union, certainly, but it also just kind of there's a big log jam, I think, around two, three, four, or not two. One, two is going to be St. Thomas and Mount Union pretty clearly after these semifinals. I don't necessarily know how to separate Whitewater and Linfield, um, but I, I can handle that. And then it's Oshkosh and um, Mary Harden Baylor. And then it's not necessarily kind of which, you know, there are teams that went out in the first round, Harden Simmons, that might be as good as Wesley, let's say. So there's a lot in that middle tier, and then I think there's a, there's a tier below that. Uh, other things going on in Salem this weekend, of course, or, or this week. Uh, if you're making the trip, maybe you won't be there by Wednesday night to see the Gilardi Trophy Ceremony. If so, you can watch it on d3football.com. Uh, uh, Frank Rossi will be the host of the uh, broadcast, and then uh, we will have the the final four uh, finalists. Final four finalists. I think that's actually the term that they used to use before they went with semifinalists and finalists. Um, but you've got uh, David Simmet of St. Thomas, the uh, the right tackle. You've got running back Sam Sura of St. John's. You've got uh, Matt Pawlowski, the quarterback from Guilford, and Joe Callahan, the quarterback for Wesley. Those are the final four. Uh, the votes have all been cast. Uh, I'll interview each of the four, and then uh, the winner will get revealed. So uh, that broadcast is on Wednesday night. Um, Keith, did we talk last week about favorites? No, I think you we you asked me who I was coming down uh, uh, for voting to vote for. Where was I in the in the process? Because I was we it was due last Monday. Yeah. Um, and I said Callahan, and that's I ended up I think I went Callahan, Kochef, Simmet maybe. Um, no, Sura. Sura was third, and I think when you look at the 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 guys who are on there, it's just, it's it's hard to believe they would give it um, to a uh, to a tackle, but it's happened once before. It has right? happened, yeah. Right, and that's what's great about Gallardi Trophy that it's not um, you know it's there's a safety's won it before. It's not just quarterbacks and running backs. The um, I mean, I think Callahan has to be the favorite. I think Sura is cer- certainly a little bit of a wild card in that he, um, he he's a known name, and uh, and you know the 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 trophy's given out by the J Club, which is um, which is St. John's based, and you don't know. Not saying that people are biased, but that they just may be more familiar with how good Sura has been than um, than than how good Callahan or Matt Pulaski's been. The thing I, w- I want to say about the the, the Gallardi Trophy though is especially if you're one of those people who's like, eh, same old teams in Salem. And, you know, we're almost now to the point where we're counting St. Thomas as a same old team. Um, then watch watch the Gallardi Trophy presentation. When you guys are down there, you know, I've been down there for, for some of them. And it's it's really cool just to, especially the way they've amped up the show over the past five years where you get to know the guys a little bit, get to watch a video montage about them and their play. You know, if if you don't, care about the purple powers well then you know hear matt palowski's story um you know talk learn about sam sura like like this will this will be cool you'll realize all four of these guys are are winners and and obviously one of them's going to go home with the trophy but there's there's nobody in salem and really the top 10 and there's probably a lot more than 10 guys who uh who would be great um representatives of d3 but the the cool thing about the galardi trophy that that i think we all can agree on is that you pick a great football player, but you also pick someone who's just a general, generally good dude. Also, uh, look for our expanded triple take on Friday morning. That's where we uh, give our predictions uh, for the game. Uh, you know, we do it with three people during the course of the regular season in the first four rounds of the playoffs, but we uh, expand it to get five or six takes, I would guess, or so uh, at this point in the season. So look out for that. We'll be doing our pregame show live from Salem on Friday afternoon and evening, uh, headed up to that uh, 7.04 p.m. kickoff on Friday. Uh, that includes the announcement of the D3Football.com All-American team, uh, which is part of our pregame show kickoff uh, as i mentioned 704 eastern on friday uh broadcast on espnu turn down the sound and listen to me and keith calling the game because you know we generally know how to pronounce names uh moses Iquinobi. uh <laughs> aside uh we'll we'll, uh, we'll 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 uh tighten that up before Friday night, but you know we know things about Division Three football, and we're not going to get uh, we're not going to get our teams crossed up. We know who's who, and that sort of thing. And we'll get you the perspective, and it will get you a nice neutral call too if you're uh, 
you know, if you're not interested in listening to uh, one-sided broadcast or the other. So keep in mind all of those things. And if you're in, uh, if you're in Salem, if you're at the Stag Bowl, uh, try to find us, try to look us up. We're definitely interested in chatting with former players, uh, Division Three fans. Um, one of the things that uh, I like to do, and I, I'm not going to speak for Keith, I'll let him do that in a second, uh, is I just like to walk through the parking lot before the game while the pregame show is going on, because uh, Ryan Tips and Adam Turr and Frank Rossi do a great job with that, and I can just go, uh, you know, get the, you know, walk and talk and get the feeling uh, from people and get their ideas about uh, how the season went and what the game's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've gotten good good tips on the game uh coming coming from walk wandering the uh the the parking lot i remember the the cecil shorts game was the one where, it, where everyone thought they were going to give a heavy dose of nate commick and they said oh they're, keep an eye out for shorts early in the game and that was before he was such a huge name um we've gotten great food and great uh fellowship out in the uh in the parking lot as well definitely check out uh the the other guys on the pregame show um, and I know we're going to get a lot of tweets uh, on Friday. When when are the All Americans out? Pat has already told you when they're coming out. But um, but yeah, come come find us, uh, or we'll find you. We'll be there and uh, looking um, looking forward to it. I think this uh, this is going to be a good game. And there there have been a few um, that that haven't been good games, but for the most part, every Stag Bowl is, is competitive uh, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Here's hoping. Uh, and this was Around the Nation podcast number 145 for the week of December 14th, 2015. Thanks for listening and tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the week headed up to Stag Bowl 43. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it to help other Division Three football fans find it. Thanks for following Division Three football on d3football.com. If you stick around late enough on our broadcast after the game, you will hear the final Around the Nation podcast of the season aired live, although we will still record it at number 146. We'll end up in your feed sometime next week.